Hi, I'm Paul Kurtz with John McDevitt, and we are the Beer and Booze Bros. Today on the podcast, a conversation with a guy who started home brewing out of frustration ah! more than 30 years ago. Really, I started doing this because I couldn't get a pint of good beer in this town. I had to drive down to Washington, D.C. to get a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and I said, well, I'm going to start making my own. How his hobby became a business and a go-to spot for a bunch of local craft beer titans. And speaking of titans... Hi, I'm Tom Peters, proprietor of Monk's Cafe. And we're here to drink some Major Tom from Brasserie de la Seine. We'll introduce you to the man who is arguably America's foremost Belgian beer expert. Also coming up, a South Philadelphia Italian restaurant that caters to the neighbors and their Italian heritage. We have a lot of rustic wines, rustic reds from, from Abruzzo. They're very good with grilled meats. We'll take you on a celebration of gin. And 2018 James Beard nominee, Teresa's Next Door in Suburban Wayne. It has a bar program like no other, a huge selection of craft beer, cider, wine, and of course, whiskey. American, Scottish, Japanese, and Indian. Japanese and Indian whiskey? Mm-hmm. Never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And a beer guru from the main line with a signature laugh joins us at Teresa's. <laughs> <laughs> How his connections brought hard-to-find ciders and brews to the birth. John, we are visiting a shrine today. A modest storefront, right, on Sansom Street, yeah. 20th and Sansom, but there's uh, so much history of the, the, the national craft beer movement is right here. And we, uh, if, if this is a shrine, we have the uh, high priests and priestess with us right now. Uh, uh, can we just get your names? Sure. Nancy Rigberg okay. and George Hummel. <laughs> and where, where are we in, where are we in? 2008 Sansom Street between 20th and 21st, right off of Rittenhouse Square. Home Sweet Homebrew. Awesome. Home Sweet Homebrew. And it is. Uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> this has been your home sweet home for how many years? 32 years, been here since 86. And George, uh, since 1986, did you find that the uh, products have changed? Stupid question, right? Extensively. I mean, first of all, when I started an doing this... An extensively stupid question, or... Yeah. Oh, all that, all that, and, and more. Um, you know, really, I started doing this because I couldn't get a pint of good beer in this town. I had to drive down to Washington, D.C. to get a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And I said, well, I'm going to start making my own. So, uh, you know, from there, I mean, at the time, there was maybe one kind of crystal malt available. And, uh, you know, now I've got like 10 or 15 types. Uh, uh, there uh, is a huge palette of toys for everyone to play with. <laughs> what was the first beer you ever brewed for yourself? Oddly enough, a West Coast Pale Ale, uh, not unlike Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. How'd hmm. it turn out? You know, probably mediocre. But at the time, and, and this is something I've noticed over the years, as every new brewer opens that first bottle of beer and it has bubbles in it and they drink three of them and they catch a buzz they think it's the best beer they ever had in their life how soon did you open this store after you started brewing i started brewing in 1984 and we opened the shop up in 86 okay and you had no idea that you were 
you were birthing a revolution here, did you? No, I was just feeding my quirky hobby. We've heard that that you've had a, a huge influence on the breweries that popped up here in Philadelphia. Uh, they, they, they started out as homebrewers. Well, yeah, we used to run an ad, basically. Over the years, we've lost some of our best customers, and it, we sort of listed all the all the people who uh, started out. Apparently, we sold Bill Kovaleski and Ron Barche from Victory a homebrew kit when they were underage. Tom Kehoe is one Tom of Kehoe and yeah. his original partner, John, used to come in. Um, Gene from Flying Fish. Sarah All of the Coffee. brewers that went through with Sarah Calgio from Doctors. came in for some of his first batches. Um, Chris LaPierre from Chris Iron LaPierre Hill. Chris LaPierre from Iron Hill. In fact, so Kevin, what, so Kevin what, and uh, Mark from Iron Hill. So, so I walk yeah. in here. Uh, these were greats. These are people that have moved on. But when we walk in here, and I know nothing, but I just know I want to get in, uh, in on this. So I come in. What would you try to sell me? Starter kit, some ingredients. And what, where would that be? And what right, would right, right, right. Lovely yeah. Nancy can direct yeah. you. So it's really easy. Guys can do it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> it's true. Okay. It's true, and we have. That a, really sells it to a lady. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a full size batch where you'll make five gallons, which is your standard beginner batch, and also because so many people live in smaller spaces now, we have a half size batch where you're making a case. You're making two and a half gallons. And and so is it a kit? Oh yeah, it's definitely a kit. It's so, equipment. It's tools, it's instructions, which you may or may not read, Sorry. and we have ingredient packs. I have a history question for you. Yes. Uh, at, at what point did, did this pop at, at where you said, this is going beyond homebrew, this is way, way bigger than homebrewing? Probably around 93, 94, things really started getting out of hand. The, the initial growth of the, our craft brewers in, in the Philadelphia area. But, but what's really cool is too, is like, it's a hobby, but like, and we touched on this before that people have gone on to, yeah. to own their own well, breweries. It's a hobby, and you get beer. So you know, to, to me, that's uh, that's key. But you never opened your own brewery. Did you, did you ever think about doing that? You know, I don't really want to have to make the same beer all the time for uh, for people, and I really don't like the level of interaction with the federal government that's required. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're seeing from the breweries that the big thing right now is, you know, the, the hazy IPAs, the, the, the East Coast IPAs. Yeah, I spent uh, my first five years learning how to make bright beer. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing is uh, uh, barrel aging. Uh, is that something that you ever, that a well, home brewer can do? Yes. They can yes. if they want to invest in a barrel. That's we exactly. also have another option, which is we have oak chips, and you can just put those in your fermenter. Wow. And frankly, the beer doesn't know the difference because it's just the beer interacted with wood. Whether and, it's in, yeah, it's sure. still, and it's a lot cheaper and uh, it's a lot easier for people to do. Philadelphia has a world-class craft beer reputation. And one big reason for that is a guy who began making regular trips to Belgium 20 years ago in order to stock his center city tavern. Yeah, there was nothing like it at the time. Today, Monk's remains a uniquely landmark location, a destination spot for thirsty out-of-towners and locals looking for beers they can't find anywhere else. Paul and I stopped in recently to talk with Monk's legendary owner, Tom Peters, about a new beer he made during a trip to Belgium last year. Paul. Oh. We're one of our favorite places. This is uh, the mecca for beer lovers. And with uh, one of the uh, 
How do you describe yourself? Trailblazer, king, pioneer, uh, alcoholic, uh, major Tom. <laughs> I would call him. Since, since we're in Philadelphia, I would call you like the founding father, one of the founding Aww, fathers of the craft beer movement. Uh, Thank you. Cheers to that. Yes, sir. So, uh, so you're Ben Franklin. Uh, of, there you go. Uh, well, you know, it's good. I'm not even going to say what come to mind there. But <laughs> on that note, though, we, we're going around and really talking to a lot of people and industry people. We can't even tell you how many times your name comes up and how how much people have learned from you over and over again. I mean, do you, do you, obviously it. What have we said his name yet? No. Go ahead. <laughs> Mystery Man. This is Tom Peters. This is, yes, Tom Franklin. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I'm sorry, I interrupted No, so so how do you feel when you hear that? I mean, obviously you get it a lot. Well, I think part of what I've been doing since 1985 was educating people. And I think that's an important aspect of the craft beer industry is to to teach people, uh, train their palates, expose them to new ideas, concepts, breweries, the history of beer, just cultural aspects from different countries and different cities within countries and you know I think it's important that people understand not just what's in the glass but why it's in the glass why it tastes the way it tastes you go to Belgium every year to brew I go a couple times a year um, to seek out new beers and to renew friendships with existing breweries that we've had long relationships with. Uh, we have a bottle of Major Tom here. This is a, a beer that my daughter Isabel and I brewed in October of last year with Yvonne DeBates who is a master brewer, just an absolute genius, incredible palate, great troubleshooter, just an all-around good guy. He and I were emailing back and forth trying to tweak a recipe and he had never used smoked malt before and he was reticent to do it and I really was trying to push for it but it's his brewery so he has to say so. He said okay we'll do a little bit of smoked malt in it and but I wanted Beechwood smoked and he was in total agreement with that. So it was a very small percentage, it's two and a half to three percent is smoked malt. You get a lot of the enhanced smokiness with this from the Britannomyces and the secondary fermentation that accentuates the uh, the smokiness. Wild yeast, right? Yeah. So this this beer is made with spelt rye. You get a bit of the spiciness of the rye in Pilsner malt. The Pilsner malt's from Belgium, and the rye is from uh, Germany, and the smoked malt is certainly from Germany. And then all the hops were either grown in Slovenia or in Germany. So they're all very noble hops, and they may be hybrids of noble hops, but they're very nice, very soft, as far as aggressiveness of the bitterness of the hops. I understand the uh, actual vessel, the, the fermenter, yes. that had a special design? Yeah, Yvonne decided that most of the breweries have these tall cylindrical fermenters and it creates too much stress on the yeast with the hydrostatic pressure. So he developed, designed, and had somebody fabricate a wider vessel, uh, shallower, so there's less hydrostatic pressure on the yeast and it, the yeast just flourishes, gives it some fruity components, it attenuates all the sugar out of it, it's just super dry beers. He's famous for his super dry beers. It's a 7.5%. It's a double saison. Ah. Can, you, can you run us through what we're supposed to be tasting here for the palate, palate challenge? <laughs> I would just like to say one thing. Yes, um, it's, with each sip, it gets better. And, and it, the intensity, I think, backs off a little bit. 
Yeah, you get the aromas in the front end when the glass is full. So you get that Britannomycin and smokiness, and then it settles down. Look at the beautiful lacing on that glass, by the way. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And what is that little peak there? What would that be called? Uh, a peak? Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got one, too. That's the moose. Oh, the moose, yes. The moose. Uh, I've never seen a beer like this. You sure egg yeah. whites aren't in here? Right. <laughs> oh, you caught me. <laughs> Can you just kind of tell us what you're hoping people or what you think people are getting out of this? Because I know everybody's palate is different. When I brew beers or blend beers, I try to create a unique flavor for that brewery, keeping within the parameters of what drives that brewer and the capabilities of the brewery equipment. So here, I wanted to push the envelope a little bit by adding the smoked malt. Yvonne and I were both on the same page with adding the Britannomyces, and the rye was his idea, and that really added another spicy component to it. Mm -hmm. I, I love rye beers. Like, this beer's gone awry <laughs> in the best way possible. This is going to be a nationally distributed brand. Nationally? Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm, I'm that, very proud of that. Have you ever done that before? I have not. And nobody can mistake that label. It yeah. definitely belongs to you. Major Tom, guy in a... Uh, there's Tom in a um, astronaut, as an astronaut, lost in space. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming out. I thanks really appreciate you coming. And really like, awesome. Tom. Yeah, we've shared some really good beers over the years. Yes, we, we have. have. We <laughs> have. Last and year. there's more to come. Oh. Yay! Warmer weather finally returned to Philadelphia, and a South Philly Italian restaurant with a sizable garden and patio space kicked off the outdoor season with an alfresco happy hour. I'm Francis Cretarola. My wife Kathy and I own Le Virtu, which is a restaurant dedicated to the cuisine and culture of Abruzzo, which is located on East Passion Avenue, 1927 East Passion Avenue. This is our garden and, uh, and our patio. We call the combined space the campo, which just means field in Italian. And we serve our normal menu most nights, and every once in a while we'll, we'll do a special event like tonight where, where a chef is cooking on the grill outside and just, you know, tapping some beers, having some wine, and just trying to relax and, and welcome the spring, finally. Finally. Yeah. yeah. And you've been open for a while. You're a successful business. The whole secret to why we might have succeeded is the fact that we were very true to our mission, which was honoring Abruzzo, the region of Abruzzo where we live for a time. And Philadelphia happens to be the number one city in the United States for the presence of people from that region. Wow. So either people whose uh, grandparents are from there or people who are actually my, born. My grandfather is from there. Yeah. How does your, your drink, your drinks, your spirits, your beer, etc., how does that complement your fare? Well, a lot of our wines, especially the wines from Abruzzo, are on the more rustic side. And everywhere in Italy, there are a few wines that are actually created that are for drinking and contemplating philosophy. They're all for having with something to eat. So the wines have to fit. So we have a lot of rustic wines, especially rustic reds from Abruzzo and South. The wines of, a, of Abruzzo can be uh, very sort of black cherry, fruit forward, but they're very good with grilled meats and with robust ragouts. These things go very well with a rustic red. And the whites are basically meant to be something that can pair well with fish that is very simply prepared. Mm -hmm. Preparations in southern Italy of fish tend to be, that's a great piece of fish, 
we're not going to screw this up by over manipulating it. So you want a wine that pairs well with that, that doesn't overwhelm it. Uh, in terms of beers... What about the, can we just touch on the rosé? Oh, the rosé, the Cerasuolo. The Cerasuolo is actually made from the same grape that the predominant uh, Montepulciano. A lot of uh, people don't know that, that rosé is actually a red grape. And it's just isn't fermented as, as as long as a red wine. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, because though the multiple channel grape creates this such an intense color in the red, it's almost black. Well, I'm surprised uh, the color of this rosé that you're serving. Yes. It's not pink. It's more deep red. Uh, deep, reddish, yeah. Yes, it, and it's wonderful for this for this food because it's got a little bit more body, a little bit more character, a little profundity of flavor, and that goes very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> profundity. <laughs> Do we have to edit that, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my parents allowed me to go to graduate school. i got to use it every once in a while. So one of the things that that, that uh, Damon is making today is a rostaccini, which is just lamb skewers. That was delicious, by the way. And that is something that, that you go up on the mountains, and uh, there are little stands all over Abruzzo that are doing this. And if you're not having beer with a rostaccini, you're having cerasuolo with a rostaccini because it, it's, it's hot out. You want a, a wine that's refreshing, so it's a rosé that's that's chilled, so it's a little cool. Can we touch on beer? Yeah, so the beer uh, list, for a very long time, we kept very simple to sort of have the appeal to the people who were coming here who wanted lagers, they wanted pilsners, things that would go very well with the Italian food. But right now, we've made a, a very strong commitment to, to actually challenge people with our selection. And so from second district these are from second district and and so they're right across broad street we're uh, drinking the uh, skycroft you're drinking the skycroft right. i'm having the cloudy Giroux, which Ooh. i believe was named after claude Giroux, uh, uh who are uh, feeling, the yeah. flyers who we're trying to forget right now but <laughs> uh but who we all love they're amazing beers. They're sort of interpretations of European styles, and they're wonderfully done. Wheat styles that are perfect for the for the warm weather we're having. Total oasis. I mean, the birds are chirping louder than us. Then we're speaking. This neighborhood inspired this. It was being in this neighborhood and seeing people who spoke the native language, which told me, "Go learn." And my wife allowed me to leave my my job in publishing, and I went to Italy uh, and studied Italian, learned Italian. My brother and I played in the local local bocce team, uh, learning about you know the the, the history of, of the neighborhood and, and how all the cultures had intermingled from Calabria, Sicilia, Abruzzo. And this was after we lived in Abruzzo for a period of time. What we wanted to do in this, we wanted to do it in this neighborhood specifically because of, of everything this neighborhood had given me, of our my family, about rediscovery of our roots and what was important. Cool, amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Sure. Thank you. Abe Fisher is a restaurant bar in Center City. Happy hours are popular, and every June they celebrate gin with a different cocktail each day. My name is Brian Keane. I am the general manager and beverage director of the Cook and Solo Restaurant Groups. I am the GM of Abe Fisher in Philadelphia. My bar team and I are, are all in with trying to strive to find the next best thing, and some of the strategic ways to do that 
is a, a program that we do every summer called Juniper, where for one whole month from June 1st till the end of June, we run an additional cocktail that we've never done before as a special, and they are always going to have gin in it. So either gin in a like, you know, citrusy, some sort of fruit uh, application or very, very strong stirred applications. You know, we've, we've done everything from like drinks with bananas in them to like celery, cucumber, you name and for it. For people who don't know, uh, juniper is used to make gin. Juniper is a primary botanical, along with like angelica, lemon balm, and a couple other things. Historically, always been used to separate gin from its, its vodka base, if you will. We, we try and use it as an education thing because whether or not it's our spin specifically on, on, on classics, we will have that conversation with the guests and be like, hey, this is our interpretation of this. This particular drink used to be made like this, mm -hmm. but what we've done is we've incorporated like a little bit of mezcal instead of some other aspect and kind of sub things out so that not only do people maybe get to try something brand new, but then they also know what this drink is that we were riffing off of. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, a win-win situation. Happy hour drinks are $7. After that, $12. Hints as to what they'll be concocting will be on social media. Abe Fisher is located at 1623 Sampson Street in Center City. Teresa's next door in Wayne was a 2018 James Beard semi-finalist for Best Bar Program. This is Paul here at Teresa's great, great beer bar, also a great whiskey bar, and it is uh, 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, the reason I'm here is, uh, very quietly, the owners here got a hold of Pliny, the elder, and the younger from Russian River. I'm out here to get me some, and I'm waiting for John. I'm sitting here with a couple guys I just met. These are seasoned craft beer pros. Let me get some names here, fellas. Uh, Lee Lai, John Corbett. All right, so we were talking before I started uh, talking into this microphone here, and I, they know their stuff. They know their beer. I already drank the Elder. That was, that was first. And now the Younger. And help me out here with the difference between the two. I, I felt that the, the Younger is, is more... More intense. The flavor is more intense. How about you? I think, I think it's a great description. More intense for sure. Um, a little bolder. Just as smooth. Uh, but you, you just can't. You can't beat. You can't beat this. Younger is as good as it gets. Well, I eventually got there just in time for a Pliny the Younger. Beverage director Chris Peters talks with us about the whiskey program. Well, we have about 400 different whiskeys total. So American, Scottish, Japanese, and Indian. Japanese and Indian whiskey? Mm -hmm. Never heard of that. Yeah. What? Yeah. Japanese are actually the, right now they're pretty much the hottest thing in whiskey. They've, they got two or three years ago, they got the World Whiskey of the Year uh, for the Yamazaki 18. They're consistently... Uh, Ranked, rated really, really well. Um, a huge explosion in the market. They barely can keep up with demand. How'd that happen? It's just really good whiskey. And as it started to trickle into the market, people found out how great a whiskey it is. But they, they literally cannot keep up. You know, you're starting to see more and more world whiskeys. Uh, there's Tasmanian whiskey. There's English whiskey that's not from Scotland, but England itself. Uh, Belgian whiskey, uh, German whiskey, every yeah. country. Chef owner Andy Dickerson sat down with us and brought a tray of outstanding ciders to sample. 
Here we are. Oh, but and, yeah, you've got, you've got ciders. We're, we're surrounded by ciders. We have a tr- we have a tray of colorful ciders. What there's red. There's yellow. There's all sorts of things. Uh, six different ciders from Big Hill. Um, none of them. Well, there is one called Standard. That's the closest thing to a base cider, if you will. After that, what they like to make is everything but that. Um, they're huge fans of barrel aging and sour ciders. Uh, or single varietal is another one of their what they're known for. So here we have their standard cider. We have their Fu Manchurian of their Manchurian apple cider varietal. Uh, we have their uh, Fresa Armaga, which is uh, their strawberry. Their Barrel Age Reserve, which is kind of a farmhouse version of their standard. Uh, Marmalade, which to me is like stands against some of the best sour beers as um, it's their own peaches. Uh, with, along with their apples and a little bit of orange zest and also their creek is something they're passionate about as well. They make ciders that others don't. They really want to make the specialty ciders. They make the standard to get open and pay the bills because they're only about three and a half years old right now. And it's a beautiful standard cider. I'm not knocking in the least. It's one of the best basic ciders out there, if you will say. It basic what, what do you mean by basic cider? Uh, it's, it's, it's a drier. It's not sweet, but it's dry and it's, it's a, a a collection of apples, it's uh, more than it is any single varietal. So it's going to be more, someone that drinks uh, larger commodity ciders that he mentioned before, this will be the first one that would be the most approachable to them. After that, you're getting into someone that is looking for something else. Um, wow, so we're, we're going... We're going standard, I would say standard first, and then move to maybe the two Manchurian. Going uh, clockwise. Yeah, maybe okay. then to the barrel, then let's okay. go to the fruits last, because fruits can sometimes attack the power. I like a, I like a plan, sort of. Uh, this is a good plan. Yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah. let's start. Okay. Matt Geyer, the beer aficionado with the signature laugh has been the owner of the beer yard in Wayne since the late 1990s. Yeah, he's he's made tons of connections over the years, and he uses those connections uh, to bring the best and hardest-to-find ciders and beers into his establishment, and then, uh, then he takes them into other establishments. He sat down with Andy, Paul, and me at Teresa's. Matt's always led us to good products from the get-go. It's, you know, Matt's, Matt was the beginner of our beverage program, no matter what Chris told you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we've never been led astray from Matt or anyone he's introduced us to. Just one or two. <laughs> but, but we have a Sometimes, percentage you know, wise, percentage wise, we're, we're, we're probably 97%. Than, you know, yeah. Yeah. Nothing's perfect. <laughs> Nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect, but it works great. I mean, it was a struggle a little bit off the bat. Um, because, but we had very a lot of open-minded customers that were really willing to listen and and try different things and you know and that's back in the day where it was you had to buy a case you couldn't buy singles or six packs like you can now in a beer distributor you had to trust us for a case so that was always interesting we used to do um, you know samplings every Friday and 15, 18 years ago a sampling you know we would have Bill Kowaleski from Victory and Sam from Dogfish and Dan from Weyerbacher in the store 15, 18 years ago before they got big and famous I think we Point something out here, John. Since we're doing a, a podcast here, uh, Pennsylvania's archaic laws. Only recently have people been able to go into a distributorship and buy not small, just buy a case, yeah, right? Buy yeah. small quantities. Well, I, uh, I guess it was about two years ago. The law changed that we could do twelve packs as long as it was shipped to us in a twelve pack. You know, then you know, then it became you know they loosened it up further about a year ago that we can do you know single six packs, etc. 
And uh, that's been a big help to us, obviously, because there's beer available almost everywhere now. Well, well so. exactly, and that was my next question. Um, so, you know, Wegmans, Acme, etc. I mean, I would think that a guy like you is, you probably seen better days, but yet you are the king. In well, a way, you made this these drinks available here. Well, I, I wouldn't say king. Well, you know, but, you know. I have a prince. And certainly not queen. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. We'll have another round of Beer and Booze Bros real soon. You can find and subscribe to the Beer and Booze Bros on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Beer and Booze Bros is on Twitter at the Beer Bros with a Z. You can find me, John McDevitt, on Twitter at JM1060. Paul Kurtz is on Twitter backwards at Kurtz Paul. Shaking it up at the bar, Tom Rickert. He helped produce this episode of Beer and Booze Bros. <laughs> Tom is on Twitter at T Rick. Cheers, Johnny. Cheers, Paul. Cheers.